Welcome back to MeSearch, a podcast that aims to educate, encourages you to participate, and evaluate. So what does that mean? Well, I just came up with it the other day (laughs) after my good friend Jackie asked me really what the mission was behind the podcast. And so I think educate's pretty obvious. I want you to walk away with some new knowledge. Participate, though, like, what does that mean? So to me, this means that I want you to really participate in your own life. So less scrolling, less looking at other people's accomplishments and quote unquote their perfect life and more of you living out your purpose, your passion. So being an active participant in your own life. And the last thing that I feel like I really want you to get out of this or the mission behind this whole endeavor is for you to to evaluate. And this can mean a lot of different things. So uh, evaluate your opinions, your goals, your current position in your life. But I want you to think about what is possible. And by learning through other people who are living their purpose, who are, who are chasing down their excellence, I think we can really draw a lot of lessons out of those conversations. And in between the conversations, I've decided to take on this solo cast. So just me. <laughs> and it's much shorter than the conversations that I have with another person. But it's just basically time for me to provide some food for thought for you. Maybe some research, maybe some stories from my own life or stories I've heard from others. And if you didn't listen to the previous solo cast, go do that. Don't listen to this one unless you've listened to the other one. Just kidding. So in the previous solo cast, I spoke about the theory of self-efficacy and essentially various ideas in terms of building confidence and what that really means. Today, however, we're going to talk a little bit about distractions. So totally switching gears from confidence, or maybe not, they are, they are sort of related. But so we're going to talk a little bit about distractions. But distractions are really just a small intro piece. And the specific distractions I start speaking about are our ability to cope with uncomfortable feelings through training or working out. And really, it comes down to talking about perceived effort. And we're going to get into all of that. But before I jump into that, I do talk primarily about sports and working out in this podcast. But that doesn't mean that you can't use these examples to relate to your work life or other areas of performance. So just keep that in mind. Okay, so distractions. I think a really good place to start would be defining for our purposes what a distraction is. So on a macro level, uh, distractions can be something that take you entirely away from your training. But there's also micro distractions. So macro, you know, a distraction might be 
really like an injury or something comes up at work and, and you really get pulled out of your training or you don't train for whatever reason, the micro distractions I like to think of as things that happen every day while we're training or performing. And these micro distractions can be anything from your thoughts to the weather, to your competition, your equipment, to your uniform, and essentially anything that has the ability to take your mind away from training or the event. And you'll notice I said I went from thoughts, so something internal, to the weather, something external. And if you've done the Mindset on Mobility program, you'll know that we talk a lot about controlling the controllables and the circles of attention. But I'm going to give a brief explanation of internal and external distractions from Mike Edgar. And he stated this in the article, how to prepare mentally for a big game. So worrying about the expectations of others, personal relationships, your opponent, School and the media are all examples of external distractions. They distract athletes from focusing on the steps they need to take to achieve their mission. However, the most harmful distractions athletes face when preparing for a big game are internal distractions. So internal distractions come in many forms. So negative thinking, doubt, dwelling on the past, so rumination, or getting ahead of yourself by thinking about results. And athletes create these distractions for themselves, often unknowingly, which makes them even more harmful than the external distractions. To me, I think it's really interesting that some of the biggest distractions we have prior to events are worrying uh, or rumination or self-doubt, because really, if you think about it logically for a moment, that's what makes things, or at least tends to make things worse. And just to switch for a moment, this doesn't, again, have to be sports. This can be a big presentation at work or a public speaking event or maybe a pitch to a potential client. Any sort of performance realm, you can have these internal or external distraction. So again, distraction could be the crowd, or it could be something that your body's feeling. So a thought. Uh, so let's just take pain, for example. So the pain that your body is feeling during a run. And not like bad pain, like I just tore my calf muscle. But the pain that comes with really pushing yourself to the max. And in those moments, the mind jumps in and says, stop. It hurts. I can't push any further. And then these thoughts really turn into being the ultimate distractions. And to me, the ultimate distraction is one that inhibits your performance so much that your thoughts end up telling you to stop and then you do. So it's going to be really important to figure out what you tell yourself when those make it or break it moments occur. And that's why... It's so important to have a game plan going into any event. And we have a tendency to fall back to the level of our training. If you tell yourself to stick to a plan, it's great. But if you don't have a plan, then you have nothing to stick to. So that seems pretty obvious. 
So sometimes for me, like if I'm trying to overcome pain during a training session or event, sometimes I'll negotiate with myself. So you only have five more, just make it to the two minute mark or something like everyone is feeling uncomfortable right now. Or uh, if I'm running outside and I want to stop, I'll pick a spot in the distance and then I'll tell myself to push it until that particular point. And then when I arrive at that point, sometimes I notice my body is actually okay and I can keep pushing or I'll slow down at that predetermined point, but then pick another spot where I have to pick up the pace again. So what I found is that when I can push through discomfort, my body sometimes, not all the time, my body accepts the experience and then will settle in. But in order to do this, I really need to tell my brain the, the right things. And I'm pretty positive that if you try some of the things that I talk about today, it will be the same for you. Just a little research about these sort of the pain tolerance and what we come up against when we're training. There was an interesting study done by Paul Larson, so of Australia's Edith Cohen University. And in that study, it was demonstrated that except in extreme cases, dehydration, which is biological, does not cause athletes to slow down in races. Instead, the psychological condition of feeling thirsty does. And that comes from Matt Fitzgerald in the book, How Bad Do You Want It? And I'm going to talk a little bit about Matt Fitzgerald because he has, or I'm going to give you some research that he has really pointed out because he's done a lot in this area. And he was recently on a podcast with Ben Bergeron back in March 2021. And he basically is talking about how most athletes think that they have encountered a physical limit in their workouts. So specifically like longer endurance events, but that in most cases isn't actually true. So Fitzgerald refers to something called the motivational intensity theory. And that basically says the mind is the stoppage point. The mind is the thing that stops you from pushing further. Your perceived effort of exertion is what slows you down. So if you think things are feeling hard, they will get harder. Fitzgerald also says in that same podcast, all improvement is mediated through changes in your relationship with perceived effort. And there are two things you can do. So you can change your perceived effort tolerance, so your ability to dig deeper, or you can reduce the level of perceived effort that you feel at any level of output. Okay, let's talk about that. How do you change your perceived effort of tolerance? And that's something that is studied really extensively in sports psychology and it's exposure training. It's, it's what training does for you. So you get better and better the more and harder you train. So you keep pushing your outer circle of comfort. And that may seem like, mm, duh, like that's what fitness is. But you have to think it's not just fitness of your muscles and fitness of your cardiovascular ability. It's training the muscles of your mind. 
if there were muscles in your mind, but thinking of your mind like a muscle. And then again, it's just, if I could just think like when I first started running back in the day, I remember being like, oh my gosh, 5k is so far. And then as I started running more and more, I would go out for a 15k run and then a 20k run. And what used to be my long runs, so 5k, became my short runs. And again, thinking of it as not just the shift physically in our body, physiologically, but the shift that happens with our perception, with our mind. Okay, so just drawing back to some of Matt Fitzgerald's discussion in his book, How Bad Do You Want It? There were, was research done where athletes were asked to push themselves to the point of physical exhaustion, or at least the point they believed that they were exhausted. Matt says, Subjects were required to exercise to exhaustion, and then their muscles were electrically stimulated to determine whether they could continue to work. And every time it was discovered that they could. So what do all of these examples tell us? You know, the fact that sensation of thirst inhibits how far we can push ourselves, or when people were told to work until physical exhaustion and they stopped much sooner than they, their bodies actually needed to. What we're saying or what I'm saying, what Matt is saying, is our body has the ability to stop us even when we have more left in the tank. It is our perceived effort that causes us to stop. And we give up when in actuality, there is much more within us and our muscles can actually continue to work. And there's a really great book uh, called Buddha's Brain. In it, the author states, inescapable physical discomfort is the first dart of ex existence. As long as you live and love, some of those darts will come your way. But then we add our reactions. These are the second darts the ones that we throw at ourselves. The second darts have the greatest impact on psychological well-being, so anxiety and mood. I think I wrote that in a blog a couple weeks ago, and I'm about to tell a story that I also told in that blog. So I have this bizarre childhood memory that is burned into my mind for some reason. So I was in elementary school, A.B. Daly, shout out, Nanton. <laughs> and I couldn't have been older than 10 years old. And I was playing on our school playground. The playground had like the metal bars for the swing sets and the metal slides. Those really, that was the extent. I think there were some teeter-totters actually as well that were probably metal. Everything, <laughs> everything was metal. You didn't have those bouncy playgrounds that we have today. So I was playing with my friends and one of my friends hit her head really hard on the playground. So I remember watching her. She was sort of like sitting on the ground in shock. Definitely was in pain, uh, but she was able to talk back and forth with us. And after a few moments, I remember a red spot on her scalp started to appear and we were like, oh my god, it's blood. And as soon as we told her that she was bleeding, she burst into tears. I, I don't know if my memory is right in thinking she was crying uncontrollably, but I remember she was panicked 
And I remember thinking to myself, if we wouldn't have told her that there was blood, she would have continued to be fine. So it's just interesting to me that at such a young age, we experience pain, but it isn't always the pain itself that sets us off. It's the stories and reactions that come afterwards. So the second dart, as I had, I just went through from Buddha's brain. So a similar example is if you've ever watched young toddlers or kids fall down or bump their head, the first thing that they will do is usually look to a trusted adult and and that is going to determine their reaction. So whether or not they're going to cry. So it's the meaning that we, the outsiders, the ones not experiencing the pain, give to the incident that helps that child determine how much they are suffering. Again, it's the second dart that we throw at ourselves that causes this psychological quote-unquote damage. I just want to talk a little bit about perceived effort because that's been mentioned a couple times now. So what is perceived effort mean and how does it even have an effect on you? So first let's talk about perception. So in my mind this isn't a scientific definition. I probably should have gotten one but uh, (laughs) in my opinion um, our perception is our world view that we experience through our own lens. So our lens is built up of our experience, our history, our childhood, basically anything and everything that we have gone through in our lives. And sometimes people might say the more experiences you have, the wider your lens. So when we're thinking about working out or playing sports, you may start to experience sensations in your body. And it's our own perception that recognizes these sensations or these feelings. So something that may be painful for me might not be painful for you. We have different experiences, different training regimes, different bodies, different experiences, different perspectives that frame our experience. I might perceive a workout to be really challenging and you might think it's really easy. We see things differently, although we are seeing and experiencing the same movements. So you might start to experience while working out heavy legs, burning lungs, these sensations that arise from putting in the effort towards your activity. And what follows those physical sensations are thoughts and emotions. You experience something in your body and then you put a label on it. And usually that label is followed by a story. So again, this is where people are different. We train the same movement. I have a positive experience and you have a negative experience or vice versa. So when you experience, just thinking for yourself right now, when you experience a physical sensation in a workout, something that's hard or running or burpees or whatever it is, what are the thoughts that come up for you? Are they positive? Are they negative? Are they neutral? So again, going back to Matt Fitzgerald and some of his research, he says, when athletes feel worse than expected during a race, 
they tend to develop a bad attitude about their discomfort and they slow down more than they need to. And then adding to that in the book, The Mind's Own Physician, the author labels this adventitious suffering. So what the mind adds to a negative experience. So if you have a lot of experience with your particular sport and you know from past experiences how far you can push your body. So you can tell yourself, okay, we've been here before. You just need to push through this. Also, if you've been training for a while and you're used to pushing yourself, you might even have, you know, the experience or of pushing yourself to the edge or even over the edge right into the block, as they say. But because you've been there before, both physically and mentally, you have sort of a reference point. Experience gives us perspective on our abilities. If you've never pushed yourself to that edge, honestly, it might be worth trying to get there. You don't need to visit it all the time, but learning how far you can push yourself will be a valuable lesson. So I'm sure you've told yourself before, like, ugh, I can't go any faster or any longer. But just think for a minute, like, what if you just ignored that inner voice? What if you just tried to push a little longer? What if you tried replacing that whiny, <laughs> I can't go any longer voice with something more positive or more constructive? So you might find that over time, if you start replacing that voice, those feelings of complete exhaustion or negative emotions might pass. Your body might just accept that you're going to continue and sort of move past it. One of my favorite things to say is where your mind goes, your body follows. So Matt Fitzgerald, he goes on to say that when we learn to accept the pain, or the unpleasantness that we associate with the pain, it can be an effective coping strategy. So the more aware you are of your conscious movements, the more your perceived effort rises. So thinking, the more you're aware of your legs being heavy on the ground, the more your perceived effort rises. And the more your perceived effort rises, the more likely you'll be to slow down. So again, you, you are thinking of the heaviness of your legs. Unconsciously, you start to slow down. Again, if you are a part of the Mindset and Mobility program, we talk a lot about different techniques that help you push through those, those moments. And two of my favorite are just sort of mantras or sayings. And one comes from Laird Hamilton and one comes from... Jocko. <laughs> in learning to accept the pain, Laird Hamilton would say, this is my home. This is where I live. Or Jocko would say, good. So remembering that acceptance that the body is in pain might help that pain dissipate. So we need to learn to push past these moments of pain or discomfort and we eventually start to learn the skill of pushing into these mental barriers that we have set up for ourselves and the more you learn to push the harder you can so just like your body so I want to tell you a quick story about the power of your perception and your thoughts that I heard 
from Canadian cross-country skier and Olympian Becky Scott. So Becky Scott worked extensively with my mentor from graduate school, Dr. Terry Orlick. And in one of Terry's classes, he invited Becky in to speak with us. So she came into the class as a guest speaker. And she told us about an experience that she had at the height of her career. So she was attending an international event and she was deemed one of the favorites to win gold. So when she arrived overseas at her hotel, she felt unbelievably ill. She was not able to get herself out of bed. She couldn't even go walk the course before race day. And overseas, cross-country skiing is maybe a little bit more popular than it is here, but overseas, the media was going crazy. So Becky, this star-studded athlete, expected to win gold, is essentially MIA overseas. No one knew where she was or what she was doing. And some newspapers actually claimed that she was doing a publicity stunt. She wasn't. So the truth is, she said that she was up all night prior to race day. So instead of getting sleep, visualizing, prepping for the race, she was talking to her husband, who was back in Canada, and coaching her through her illness. So she's, you know, curled around the toilet. She doesn't know what's going on with her. She just feels awful. And I don't know what time in the morning it was, Becky told us that she just decided that she was going to convince her body that it was just jet lag and that she wasn't actually sick. And then the little asterisk to that is, even though she hadn't gotten out of her bed in days, she literally tricked her body into thinking that she was fine. And come race morning, she went out skied, not ever having seen the track, not having slept, and she won the race. <laughs> so yes, fatigue, physical sensations, they do have the ability to set us back. But if we can control our mind, there are ways to overcome these physical sensations. And sometimes it takes reinterpreting our perspective and our experience in order to change the pain and discomfort that we are feeling. A really similar example that you have probably heard about was the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance. And if you haven't watched that, again, put this on pause, <laughs> go watch The Last Dance. It's incredibly inspiring. There's an episode titled Flu Game. And Michael Jordan gets food poisoning. So again, same thing. He's up all night, doesn't get out of bed the day of the game. Uh, and that game happened to be game five of the NBA finals. So in watching the footage, you can visibly see that he just isn't quite himself out on the floor. But then a timeout happens. And Michael tells us that he just decides to turn it on. So he ends up scoring 38 points, <laughs> getting seven rebounds, five assists, three steals, and one block. He just decided to turn it on, even when he was physically ill. So he made the choice 
to overcome this illness in the moment. And of course, like these two examples are extreme. They're both world-class athletes. And for us, for the most part, we're average folk. But I love the saying, success leaves clues. So we look to these high performers to perhaps take a little slice out of what they're doing and to try to apply it to our own lives. So I'm not just, <laughs> I'm not saying to go ignore the flu or you need always need to play when you don't feel good. Or um, someone sent me a meme today, actually, and it said, now that we live in COVID times, I can't believe we used to have to go to work with a cold and it would be normal to infect everybody with your cold, which I thought was pretty funny. So I don't want you to take away that I'm telling you and some of you will walk away and be like, mm, this is the only thing I remember is that sh that Megan said to go to work sick. <laughs> and that's not what I'm suggesting. So sometimes you have no choice and you have to compete. And in cases like the ones described, we are capable of doing more than we think. However, the big caveat to all of this is the pain response is in your body for a reason. Your brain is trying to protect you from doing damage to your body, which is why it will tell us to stop. Especially if you're inexperienced with training or any kind of athletics, it's like, oh, the body is like, whoa, like we've never been here. This doesn't feel good. Like I'm going to hurt myself. Stop. So the trouble is many of us don't even push ourselves to uncomfortable situations very often, if at all. And so the brain has this trouble differentiating between discomfort and pain. And what we think is painful in most cases is actually just an uncomfortable situation. And the discomfort we feel, if it truly isn't a pain that's going to injure you, isn't going to be something that sticks around forever. So if you can push through these pain responses, the brain will eventually turn off those responses. And there's a way that you can sort of test this out in a safe environment. And that's honestly mobility work. And I'm not just saying that because of mindset on mobility and I really believe in doing mobility work. But just the next time you're rolling around on a ball, a mobility ball, you might find something very uncomfortable at first and your body tells you to get off it. It tells you, you it doesn't like that. But if you sit there, you take a few deep breaths, the body will start to relax into that position and the pain response will dissipate. So again, this isn't something, the pain response isn't something I'm telling you to ignore all the time. And I was following a Kelly Starrett video he posted on his program called The Ready State. And he was talking about his training as a professional canoer. And he was talking about this particular time where he was out with his partner on the water and he started to feel some pain in his leg. But this particular training session, they were out with Olympians, I believe. So he didn't want to get out of the boat. So he just pushed through the pain and eventually he said, it just went away. Pain just stopped. So he continued training. And then when he got out of the boat, he had given himself some pretty serious nerve damage and developed foot drop. And if you don't know what that is, uh, the name sort of explains it. So your foot drops down like droopy. So the point of the story is he felt the pain, ignored it, 
And while it did go away, he did some significant damage. The pain response is a real thing and is there to protect us. But we need to be able to tune in with our bodies or be in tune enough with our bodies to know when it's, you know, crying wolf or when there's a legitimate concern. And one of my favorite things that I used to say when I taught yoga was listen to the whispers of the body so you don't have to hear it scream. So at that, I think I'll wrap it up. I hope that leaving this conversation or leaving listening to this dialogue, you pay a little more attention to your inner talk, a little more attention to your perceived effort, and maybe just check yourself when you're trying to call it quits early or when you need to dig a little deeper. And for goodness sakes, (laughs) drink some water so you don't get all namby-pamby after a workout or during a workout, I should say. So uh, namby-pamby, I uh, just learned that word today. Um, I thought it would be appropriate to use. Just in case you've never heard of it, it's defined as lacking energy, strength, courage, feeble, or effeminate behavior or expression. So don't be a namby-pamby. <laughs> okay, that's it. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can find me on Instagram at mindset on mobility. Till next time. <laughs>